Hey, how good, how good is this? I'm excited, really, really excited. You know, it's, it is a little bit odd being this far forward, and I'm normally back here somewhere. Um, but welcome, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, it is fantastic that you could be with us today. Now, if we haven't met, my name is John. Um, I'm part of the creative team here at Door of Hope, um, and it is an absolute honour uh, to be starting off this new series, Unto Us, and we're going to be spending the next four weeks taking a look at the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, and we'll begin to unpack some of the meaning and the significance and the impact that this story, this moment in history 2,000 years ago can have in our lives today. Now, before we get into it, I just want to do one thing that I think everyone should find easy. Wherever you are, I want you to breathe in and breathe out. Now, hopefully that was COVID safe. (laughs) I'm just going to pray and then we'll get right into it. Father, I thank you uh, that that I could be here to share your word. And Lord, I pray that uh, that your spirit would guide me that it would lead me to speak your truth. And pray that hearts and lives would be transformed by your power tonight. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so the Christmas story, as we know it, is found in two books of the Bible, Matthew and Luke. Now, Luke is quite detailed. He's, he's basically writing a research paper for this guy called Theophilus, where Matthew, he takes a slightly different approach. See, Matthew walked with Jesus as one of his disciples, and he's writing his letter uh, to the people um, who had been God's nation since the beginning, the Israelites, the Jewish people. The opening of his book can, it it seems a little bit weird, uh, with a family tree and like a short summary of Jesus' birth, uh, but it has a particular purpose, and that is to make the case to the Jewish people that Jesus is God. See, the religious leaders of the time didn't take too kindly to the idea that a man could be God, let alone a baby. And they ended up uh, crucifying Jesus for making the claims that he was God. So, Matthew would need to set up a strong argument, but it's within this argument that we find clues to the significance of Jesus' birth. And Matthew begins by using this family tree to point back to Jesus' ancestry. He was one of them, Jewish by birth, like they'd expect. He was also from the royal line of King David, who was described as a man after God's own heart. You know, for, for Matthew's Jewish audience, these connections are vital. You know, there were prophecies of a coming Messiah, a saviour, that point to this family line, like the one that was spoken to David himself in 2 Samuel. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish his kingdom forever." You know, prophecies like this would become a glimmer of hope for the Jewish people who would go through many struggles. You know, they were 
overcome by an enemy kingdom. They were removed from their own land. And when they returned some 70 years later, they were still under foreign rule. It would stay this way for hundreds of years with Israel and Judah subject to rule by Persia, Greece, Egypt, and finally Rome. To make matters worse, it seemed like God had gone quiet, that he was far from them. With their autonomy and self-rule taken away, the Jewish nation had to cling to their faith. And the promises of a coming Messiah, a saviour, a king, they were expecting a king, not a baby. They were expecting a powerful warrior king who would restore their kingdom to its former glory. But what they didn't grasp is that God didn't come to restore their kingdom. He came to restore his kingdom. And so Matthew makes sure to point towards prophecies, connecting dots to help his audience see that this Jesus who was born in Bethlehem is the one that you've been waiting for. He quotes four prophets in the first two chapters of his book and showing that Jesus fulfilled them. We see Isaiah, Micah, Hosea, and Jeremiah. But it's the quote from Isaiah that I want to look at a little bit closer. Now, we've probably all heard this story. Mary, a young woman engaged to Joseph, becomes pregnant, even though she's uh, never had sex. And Matthew chapter 1, verses 19 to 23 says this, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, which is Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Would you go a bit past my drink bottle there, dear? I should have brought it up with me, you know, prepared. Now, my first thought when looking at this passage is why the heck did they name him Jesus if he was meant to be called Emmanuel? <clears throat> now, scripture gives us many names that Jesus would be called, not in the sense that they were his given names, but they were descriptive names. We read, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Much in the same way that people might call me achingly handsome or supremely talented, <laughs> my, my, my name is still John. Or Jonathan if I'm in trouble, or Jono if we went to high school together. But my point is that by calling him Emmanuel, God with us, we've been given a key description of Jesus calling to be with us. Now, if you're new to the faith or you're still exploring, discovering this whole Jesus and God business, and you're thinking, it says God with us, not Jesus with us. You know, remember, the writer of this book uh, Matthew is making the case that Jesus is God. A core belief of our faith is that God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. 
They are the God that we worship. We call it the Trinity, and God the Trinity has been with us forever, even long before creation. We read that uh, God was with Adam and Eve in the garden, talking to them as you and I might talk. He walked with Noah, calling him to build an ark to survive a flood. He led Abraham out into a new land to start a new nation. He wrestled with Jacob, who would become Israel, and whose children would become the 12 tribes of Israel. He was with Joseph in Egypt, helping lead through a severe famine. He was with Moses, appearing to him in a burning bush, leading his people out of oppression and giving the commandments and the law on the mountain. He was with his people as they settled into the promised land and established their home. He was with them through the time of judges, kings, prophets, exile, and the rebuilding of the temple. See, the whole story arc of the Bible is God with his people. I reckon it was a bit of a struggle to be their God sometimes, but God was faithful, constantly calling them back to the safety and the provision of walking with him and living within his bounds. But something changed with Jesus before God had remained in his heavenly form. People had only seen glimpses of him because his full glory would have killed them. He spoke through his prophets and priests were the mediators, the connection point between man and God. But now, with Jesus being born, being born, God had taken on the form of a man, a child in all his weakness and dependence on Mary and Joseph. Fully man, yet somehow fully God. And he would grow up to taste the full experience of the human struggle. And Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might, might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It's difficult to be fully with someone if you can't empathize with their struggles. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. So here Jesus was, God with us here on earth, walking among us, around us, feeling what we, the things that we felt and experiencing the life that we might live. Emmanuel, God with us in our temptation struggles, and weaknesses. Now, there's an invitation here for all of us. Now, my personal story is one of struggle. I was diagnosed with depression at the age of 18. I fought against an addiction to pornography for even longer. I have struggled with a huge sense of loss and shame for as long as I can remember. And my identity has been shaped by this constant fear that something is fundamentally wrong with me, that something is missing. But I met Jesus at the age of 21. It would have actually been about this time of year, the lead up to Christmas. I'm 33 now, the same age that Jesus was at the peak of his ministry. <laughs> I still face struggles and temptation, but I remember, but when I remember, that Jesus experienced these things too. And I lean into that. His, his empathy, his compassion leads me closer to him to experience a sense of love and mercy and wholeness. I get to experience God with me 
And this is for you too. You don't need to do anything or bring anything or be anything other than yourself and bring all of the mess that might follow you. All it takes is a simple prayer and a willingness to trust Jesus with whatever lays ahead. And something radical takes place when we make this step into faith. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, a counsellor, to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And he goes on to say, You will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. When Jesus was to be called Emmanuel, God with us, it wasn't meant as a one-time thing. It wasn't just while he was here on earth walking among us before his death and resurrection. It's a forever thing. See, Jesus in this passage is saying, I'm going away now, knowing that he was about to die. But the Father is sending our Holy Spirit to be with you, in you, to guide you and strengthen you by his truth and power. Emmanuel, God with us by his Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes it can feel like we aren't with him, right? Or we can't feel him. Because there's, there's something in our nature that, that when we screw up, our first instinct is to hide. It's not conditioning like some people would say. Adam and Eve weren't brought up uh, fearing God and his punishment. But after eating the fruit, they felt the need to find refuge in the cover of the garden, away from God. And thankfully, God pursued them. And even though he laid out the consequences of their disobedience, he showed them incredible mercy and grace towards them. How often do we hide? How often do we avoid praying to God because of some mistake that we've made, instead of bringing it to him to deal with? Sometimes we even withdraw from other people because we're so afraid that they might not like us if they found out who we really are or if they found out the things that we've done, they might reject us. And this can often completely unravel us as we try to deal with things on our own. We end up spiraling away further from God and from other people, the people that we love. But the good news is that God is faithful and just. He's not going to meet you with punishment and disgrace. He's going to meet you with mercy and grace. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when Jesus was to be called Emmanuel, God with us, this was his purpose, to bridge the gap between us and God to deal with the problem of sin and to bring us righteousness so that we can stand in God's presence because there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't need us to be perfect, doesn't need us to be clean. Jesus did that for, all, uh, for us already when he bridged the gap by his sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Emmanuel, God with us in mercy and grace. Now, something else that can hinder our experience of God with us is this crazy thing called life. You know, busyness, work, life, life. 
Let me be clear. God has never left us. He is never far from us. He is omnipresent, meaning he is everywhere, always. Psalm 139, we're asked, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, there you are. If I make my bed in Sheol, there you are. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall hold me and your right hand, uh, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. But with the busyness of our lives can sometimes get in the way of us being with God. We can drift away or simply find our lives so full of other things that God's voice and presence can feel muted or barely there at all. Let's just stop for a second and breathe in and breathe out. The lead up to Christmas can be hectic time in our lives. You know, a season that's meant for joyful celebration and meaningful reflection can end up dominating our attention. You know, maybe you're finishing the school year and you're studying hard, or maybe you're working flat out, making sure that you've got enough money for gifts and for food for Christmas Day. Maybe you're part of a Christmas event and the production date is looming closer. These are good things, but they can distract us from an important part of the Christian life. And that is time-seeking God's presence, God's manifest presence, God's, you know, this experience of God with us. Now, I'm not talking about hectic bush, uh, burning bush, clouds of glory kind of presence, but the kind of presence that God invites us into daily, the still, small voice kind of presence that the prophet Elijah experienced in 1 Kings 19. King David writes in Psalm 16, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This fullness of joy that David writes about is independent of our situation. We can be flat out busy, stressed, or going through emotional hardship. And this, uh, the joy of being in God's presence brings, holds us steady and sustains us. I want to encourage you, even challenge you to become more intentional about seeking God's presence daily. It's not a difficult, lofty, spiritual endeavor. Remember, if you trust in Jesus, the hard work has already been done. Your sin has been dealt with, and God's Spirit lives in you. All it takes is some discipline and a willingness to put these two things into practice. Breathe in, breathe out. And consider setting aside 20 minutes every day. Book it in your calendar if you have to, and read the Bible. You know, if you, if you don't have one, and I mean a hard copy of the Bible, we would love to give you one as a gift. Now, this is how important we believe this practice is. You know, there are free Bibles available as apps on phones, um, but we would love to give you one. Um, you know, you can catch us after the service or head to the welcome desk or in the chat let us know. We'll get you one. Now, you don't need to read huge chunks, you know, just a paragraph or two. Maybe even follow a reading plan like our Daily Hope bookmark. 
and take time to sit and reflect on them, you know, journal them, pray about them, and ask God to reveal truth through them. Remember how Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us? The Holy Spirit is there for this very purpose, to help reveal God's character through Scripture. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Now, this, this is our breathing in. You know, you are drawing in God's word and truth down into your core, so breathe deeply. It's the process of becoming more Jesus-centered. The more you understand about God and his character, the more aware you will become of his movements, of his voice, of his guidance in your life. You'll be more attentive to his presence, God with us. There are a few things that are going to help. So a calm quiet environment helps a lot. For some, this will be early in the morning um, before things get busy. For others, it'll be later in the evening, maybe after the kids have gone to bed and the house has quietened down a bit. But quiet is good. Find a comfy spot um, where you'll do this regularly, a chair, a little nook in the house somewhere, and create a ritual that you do that signals to your brain, we are doing this right now. For me, I read first thing in the morning before the kids are up bashing around getting ready for school, and I sit in an armchair by a big window, and I drink a coffee. Same place, same time, same coffee. And because I've created this routine, this ritual, it's not the exact same coffee, it'll go <laughs> off after all. Because I've created this routine, my brain now knows what I'm expecting it to do to breathe in God's word and sit still in his presence. And of course, if you only ever breathe in, you'll hyperventilate. So we also need to breathe out. And we do it by bringing God's goodness into the world, doing good works, building others up, encouraging them, serving through fellowship with one another, and not just between Christians, but all God's children, which is everybody. It's an outward thing. It's being others-focused. And there's this amazing thing that happens when we bring goodness into the world. And when we share uh, stories of God's goodness in our lives, you know, we bring a bit of God with it. We're inviting others in to experience God's presence and experiencing it for ourselves. We're bringing Emmanuel into a busy world that might be having trouble uh, seeing and Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 5 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And be a blessing to others and they'll experience the goodness of God. It's a win-win because as Proverbs chapter 11 verse 25 says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You know, sometimes, we, uh, sometimes this requires a bit of discernment. You know, we can bring a certain amount of encouragement and edification to our friends and people that we know well. But when it comes to people that we're still getting to know, you know, sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to give us the right things to say or do. And sometimes we hear these things in our breathing in, in our quiet moments with God, and we wait for the right time to share these. But other times, God wants to prompt us in the moment, and he will give us what we need to do this on the fly. 
And for this, it's good to be able to cultivate a quiet inner life and create space for us to be able to hear the Holy Spirit. After all, He is that still, small voice. So breathe God in, because He is with us. And breathe Him out to show the world that He is with them too. And repeat. Now, I would love to be able to say that that I've had a long, steady experience with this kind of life. But the truth is that I'm really only just rediscovering uh, all of this for myself. You know, if I'm completely honest, at some point I traded refuge and rest in God for the distraction of social media. You know, instead of bringing the stresses of life into God's presence and letting Him deal with it, I just avoided dealing with it at all and filled up every spare moment with mindless noise and endless scrolling and the promise of social approval. And I feel like I feel like the Apostle Paul was talking about me when he wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. It's, it's hard to describe just how exhausted and empty this left me. So during October... I made a big change. I stepped away from all optional technology and I trimmed back uh, all the apps on my phone just to the bare essentials and really uh, put boundaries around what I used and for how long. No social media, no YouTube, not even a web browser. And I replaced these attention-grabbing, time-wasting black holes with reading and reflective thought. I made space in my life and rediscovered the fullness of joy that comes with being in the presence of God daily. Not only that, but I discovered something magnificent. The more I stepped away from online culture, the more positive my thoughts became. My inner world used to be this dark place of comparison and fear. But God has transformed it into a place of creativity and rest, you know, by quieting all the unnecessary noise that invaded my life. I feel more grounded, more steady in my emotions, and more inspired to do good work. I feel more present, like my world has suddenly shrunk shrunk back down to the things that are happening right in front of me. And the busyness of life doesn't seem to overwhelm me in the same way. You know, depression doesn't loom so close anymore. I feel the joy of a more simple life. Once again, I feel God with me. And I don't tell you any of this out of a proud heart, but out of an excitement to share what God has been teaching me. If your world seems noisy and chaotic right now, I want to encourage you to consider taking a similar step in the lead-up to Christmas. To centre your attention on Jesus and His work and His promises, His presence with us. Most of all, I hope that you are encouraged to set aside uh, aside time every day to, to breathe God in because He is with us 
and breathe him out to show the world that he is with them too. I'll just... Thank you. While the band comes on, I'll just close in prayer. Father, thank you that you are with us, that wherever we are, you are with us. Lord, that you have given us the gift of your son, Jesus, through his work here, has dealt with our problem of sin, has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live a life centered on you. Lord, I just pray that as we head into our week, that we would meditate on your word. Lord, that we wouldn't, wouldn't conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That we'd let go of the patterns of constant connectedness, distraction, and the need for social approval. But we would just find rest in you. Pray that we would find joy in being fully known by you and accepted and loved. Just pray all of this in Jesus' name.